and I've seen it in my own students, kids that are struggling in math, and after taking music lessons for a year, all of a sudden they're the top in their class in, in math. And what I explain to parents a lot of times is that when a child is reading a note on a piece of paper, they're having to decipher numerous things at once. Their brain is really having to work and um, consider the abstract of the pitch, the quantity of time, is it loud or soft, which finger do I use? All those things, it's almost like algebra where they're having to really decipher things. Hi, I'm Allison Galloway-Gonzalez, and this is Purple Crayon. Hello, and welcome to Purple Crayon. Today's guest is Sean Fafman. Sean is the owner of the First Coast Music School, and he is also the chair of the Arts Advisory Council for Duval County Public Schools. So I'm really excited to get to talk to him about his arts education, his career as an artist and a musician, and also the the role he's taken here in the county to help lead the community in arts education advocacy directly with the school district. So it's going to be a very exciting interview. Thank you, Alice. All right. So, Sean, I am very excited that you agreed to be here. We have just met uh, fairly recently. Um, I am so proud that you guys have uh, gotten together with Duval County. This is the first time Duval has had an Arts Advisory Council. Is that correct? As far as I know, yes. So tell me a little bit about Let's talk about the council, and then we'll go back and talk about your career a little bit, too, because I'd love to hear a little bit about that. So how did this council form? How did you get involved? Can you tell us a little bit about your agenda over the last couple of years? Has it been two years? It's been two years. So uh, almost two years to the date, I was contacted by uh, Jeff Smith, the director of arts for Duval County Public Schools, and I was invited to join this newly form or newly forming group, the Arts Advisory Council. So I guess at that time it was about six or seven of us and we met, formed the bylaws, created the Arts Advisory Council. I think it had been recommended by a school board member that um, an Arts Advisory Council be formed. So I was fortunate enough to be asked to be a part of it and been two years now. This past September, I was elected to be the chair for it. And the work we do is basically to um, promote the arts for every child in Duval County Public Schools. Yeah. So listeners will remember that we had Jess Smith on um, in our first episode. We talked a little bit about the council. um, But we also talked at the end about how dynamic the social media has become out of the performing and visual arts uh, program and that it's one of my favorite feeds on any social media platform because there's it's just so lively now i think you all have done a great job of promoting externally from within the, all the facets of what's going on in the arts and in public school we're trying so this year our main focus was to build exposure. The first year we spent 
kind of setting the foundation of the organization. Like I said, the bylaws, logos, things like that, and our goals, setting goals, those types of things. This year, we actually started implementing it more. And one of our main things was to engage the community more, let them know who we are, what we're doing, what we're about. And part of that, like you said, was is the social media. So we paired up with a student from uh, Douglas Anderson. He created a PSA video for us that we've been showing that has been fantastic. The work that he did was incredible and people have responded. So they're visiting our website, our Facebook page. Why do you think it's important for the outside world to see those details and to see that content come out of the public school system? The most important thing is to engage people that already understand the importance of arts and to the people that don't kind of share with them the information that shows how the arts is important for all children and more so than the arts itself how it helps in other areas of creativity humanity things like that how being involved in the arts is a critical part of being creative and and growing as a human yeah i i think that you know when i first came into this advocating for arts education portion of my career, um, the echo that I heard over and over again was that the general public thought, oh, all the arts have been cut from school. Um, And while it's an important issue to raise about having arts education, I think the fact was we had really stellar programs that that were being ignored so that we, we were... we couldn't grow. So when people sort of had this mentality that everything's gone and there's nothing to be done about it, um, it was hard to call people to action um, because it seemed like a, a desperate situation rather than saying, we have some art programs. They're incredibly successful. Look how brilliant these children are doing. Let's make sure there's more of it. So one of the things that I felt was was has been really inspiring about what you all have been creating is a sense of joy again around arts education and public schools yes. that I think people weren't feeling before. We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that in addition to that, there's also a perception that arts can be or are is are a hobby and yeah. that and they're not critical for so long we heard about stem and uh those classes science mm-hmm. math mm-hmm. eventually it became steam mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. integrated the arts but still in the schools arts are almost secondary yeah. and we want to make sure that people understand how important they are and how they're so related. Mm-hmm. I studied music in college. I studied jazz studies, but also studied economics. And for me personally, mm-hmm. studying... Combination. Yeah, so yeah. math always 
just was easy for me. Mm-hmm. And I think a large part of that was because of my music kind of training from very young. And I've seen it in my own students, kids that are struggling in math. And after taking music lessons for a year, all of a sudden they're the top in their class in in math. And what I explain to parents a lot of times is that when a child is reading a note on a piece of paper, they're having to decipher numerous things at once. Their brain is really having Mm -hmm. to work and um, consider the abstract of the pitch, the quantity of time, is it loud or soft, which finger do I use, all those things, it's almost like algebra where they're having to really decipher things. And all the research shows that kids that are, at least in music, that I can speak to directly, Mm -hmm. kids that are involved in music score 20 to 30% higher on standardized testing in math and science. And then additionally, just the creative aspect, the way, the ability to be able to look at things from different perspectives. Um, Also, I love visual art. Mm -hmm. I took art classes all throughout high school and, and college as well. And I think that being exposed to that really helps you to find solutions where they aren't obvious. Right. And for me personally, when after I graduated from college, nobody tells you when you're in school how to get a job in music. <laughs> That's true. And or visual art. I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to figure it out and you have to be creative. Yeah. And that's eventually what I did. I, I kind of entered the corporate world w- through my economics, but I knew I wanted to. I knew I wanted music to be my life and, and my career and what I wanted to do. And in addition to playing, I love teaching. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to um, teach music yeah. and, and and play music. So I started up a school of music about twelve years ago. And the way that I set it up was there's some schools where I started going into the after school programs and teaching mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, just kind of built it up to where we're in over 30 schools and a couple of studios. But there was no, at that time, there was no other business doing that. Huh. So I had to create it. I had yeah. to I had to create my own marketing. I had to create my um, kind of channels of accounting, mm-hmm. payroll, all those business facets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds like you had a good background for that, though, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so my economics degree definitely helped that, with that, that as well. That definitely helps. So if if I can transition a little bit, speaking of economics, um, we are right in the middle of the final throes of the Duval County budget decisions right now. Um, and it's affecting your conversations at the Arts Advisory Council level. Can you tell us a little Definitely. bit about what your discussions have been lately? So this whole year, in addition to kind of building awareness through social media, we also wanted to have a voice in the superintendent search. Yeah. And we wanted to make sure that the school board knew that 
bringing in a superintendent that was committed to the arts was important to people in the community. And so we spoke at numerous board meetings and things like that. And now with the budget kind of crunch or crisis mm-hmm. that they're having, they're having to make cuts. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those cuts are directly affecting the arts. Yep. And our the vice chair for the Arts Advisory Council, he's also a teacher at one of the elementary schools. Mm-hmm. And as of now, he's going to be an itinerant teacher yeah. where he's going to have to go from school to school. Right. And I don't think people realize for a music teacher, yes. that's very difficult because we have supplies. You know, you can't just... <laughs> carry all your music ro- instruments right. around from school to school. It's not just right. a textbook. Yep. I think even in addition to all the logistic issues, um, uh, the vice chair who you're referring to is Sean Bennett, correct? Yes. Uh, so Sean has built the steel drum um, program at his school and has been developing it. And to do that, you need time with students. So he's actually been giving of his time in the after school hours for free um, and and cultivating this entire program that wouldn't have existed without him um, being face forward. When when you're asking a teacher to split their time between two different sites, but also two different groups of students, inevitably, it's just a matter of math. It's scheduling. You can't see uh, hundreds more students with the same frequency as you could before. So now you get half the time with those students. Um, Your your ability to give in the after-school hours is now sort of a push and pull, which site do you do that with? Um, And you can't devote, as anyone who has more than one job (laughs) can attest, you can't devote your time and energy to, to just one thing and just developing. And I think that's where a lot of our worry lies is that these students will get half or less than half of what both they had been getting and they deserve to get. And uh, our teachers will feel like they've been, they're being pulled between multiple teachers and priorities. It's definitely a very unfortunate situation. And I think we also have to give credit due to the school board mm-hmm. in that over the past couple of years, they've done some phenomenal things yes. as far as um, providing additional resources for our kids with the arts and, and such as digital textbooks for, I think it's some of the elementary schools or all elementary kids. But as of right now, they're faced with a very difficult situation mm-hmm. that isn't of their making. Of their making. Absolutely. So obviously they're having to make some very tough choices and and I feel for them. But I feel like in the schools I have a I have a son that's a 10th grader. Mm, mm-hmm. And I remember when he was in middle school and I would go take our little tours and in the art classes like the drawing yeah. art classes they already had like 50 kids in one class. Right. Right, right, So right. the teachers are already stretched very thin. Yes. And the, the resources are already stretched very thin. I think PE had like 70, 80 kids in a PE class. Um, yeah, because this is not just happening to the arts. It's happening to some other areas as well. And, yeah. Um, what, what sort of lumped in is called resource 
teachers and resource courses, right. so arts and also um, uh, PE and and that kind of thing become become what happens when there are cuts made in other areas. The the state has a very or it seems to me it has mm-hmm. a very strong commitment to science and math. Mm-hmm. And while I think that science and math are extremely important, I'm of the personal belief that the arts are equally as important. Yes. And unfortunately, I think I'm in the minority. Mm-hmm. So hopefully through our work and and through all the research that is coming out more and more mm-hmm. every day that that will eventually change. Absolutely. I think what happens here is we're not fighting the fight with people that the arts are an, are a good thing. I think we're sort of, for most people, the arts are a good thing, but they're not a priority thing. They're right. not an essential thing. So when when people sort of make policy and legislation around their priorities, um, what we find is it's not it's not a direct attack on the arts, but it indirectly affects how the arts get prioritized. So, for instance, there is a, a class um, size mandate at the state level that says math science classes have to have a, a student teacher ratio of this amount, uh, can't be over this many students per classroom. Um, and what that does is if there's not the same policy for arts and PE, then those kids, so without the resources, those kids are then sent to those classrooms. They're overflowing their 50 kids deep to keep these classrooms the right mandated size. So if there's going to be a policy, which I completely believe there should be, um, that we shouldn't be stuffing kids into classes, but it should be across the board. And what happens is when people protect one area, the other area suffers. Absolutely. So I, I think there are there's not this direct attack on the arts necessarily, but there is a sense that the arts can be thought of as the last last thing that we prioritize and protect. And I think you're exactly right in saying it should be protected and revered and seen as a as much of a priority as any other academic area. I know one student that is striving to become a valedictorian. Yes. And they, after their ninth grade year, in, in their ninth grade year, they took um, a guitar class and PE class. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, the results came out, and they were in, like, third place. And the student realized that if they were going to kind of fulfill their dream of becoming valedictorian, that mm-hmm. they had to take all weighted classes from there on right. out. Right. And which, at this point, meant no more arts. Right. And... That's heartbreaking. Yes. You know, no student should have to make that type of decision, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, with my views as arts is very important. Mm -hmm. um, But to for for a kid to have to make a decision like that. Yeah. Is is, I don't think it's fair. I I, I don't think it it helps the kid. 
No. I think it's actually ends up being detrimental to, to make students choose between those two paths but they're, because they're so complementary. Yeah. So I've also heard the stories of kids saying, well, um, I was doing really well in school. I, I hit the sort of move into ninth grade. I got into Douglas Anderson School of the Arts, magnet school here in town, um, and uh, to do this art form. And I also got into Stanton College Prep. And they felt like that was making them choose between their academic success and their success in the arts. When both schools are incredibly highly ranked, both schools are great environments to learn. But the the thing that we do when we sort of magnet and, and move things around is we're also making kids choose between two things that really complement each other and that provide that balance for That's a right. well-rounded education. So Absolutely. I think you're a great example of that. So tell me a little bit about your younger education and how you how you got to this great balance of economics and music. So I grew up in rural Alabama mm -hmm. where there I don't think there were any professional musicians in my town. Mm. People just didn't do that as a career. Right. And <clears throat> I started taking music lessons when I was eight, my father was is is a singer. Okay. And yeah, so, so in your family. Yeah, my aunts, everybody played music. Yes. So we were always around the piano playing and I fell in love with music. When I was twelve, I decided that I wanted to quit taking lessons. I was very involved in sports and I was having to leave sports practice to go to piano practice mm -hmm. and I was just kind of done with it. And the teacher convinced my parents to have me stick with it. They said that I've been progressing well. At that point, she got me a blues piano book. And all of a sudden, I just fell in love with it. And my dad, I think, got me like a journey. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the popular bands in the sure. 80s. And, and it became fun. Yes. So then all of a sudden, I was hooked. Um, continued taking lessons throughout high school. And then when I got to college, um, initially went in for pharmacy uh -huh. and just because that was kind of seeing, I was doing pretty good in chemistry. So sure. I thought, okay, I'll okay. do. Yeah, yeah. And then after about a year or a year and a half, I said, you know what? I love music. I'm not going to music. I don't yeah. care. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, my, uh, my mother was like, what are you going to do with a degree in jazz? <laughs> I got, yeah, I got the same shirt. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and thankfully, I have an older brother who was at Auburn at the same time, went to Auburn University. And uh, he, he told my mom, he said, let him do what he loves, you know. Oh, so You've had a lot of advocates along the way, I'm hearing, teachers. And yes, absolutely. And so through that, I started in, in jazz and um, studied jazz. And as I was doing it, I took a couple of economics classes, fell in love with economics as well. Mm -hmm. And, so, you know, might as well. This is the making. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's really neat. I, I had a little bit of the same, so I loved art, but um, I thought I should 
go down the psychology route. And so I did that for a little while. And, um, and then I just decided uh, I was all in for art, but I didn't I want to create it every day. So I'm not an artist the way you are. Um, so I did art history. So I was analyzing and writing um, about it the way you would research and, and write in psychology. And I just took that to the art place. And yeah, I think the, in college that was probably one of my favorite classes. Yeah. Art, art history. Yeah. I loved it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Very nice. So tell me a little bit about, um, before we get off, uh, let's get into the fun stuff since we, we had some heavier stuff earlier. Tell me about where you play and what you love to play and who you love to play with. I'm primarily a piano player. And like I said, I studied jazz and mm-hmm. fell in love with jazz. And growing up, I really didn't even know what jazz was. I just thought it was the music from the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I saw a whole group of students recreate or re-describe Bugs Bunny cartoons while a quartet was playing those songs because they oh. are so well connected in their brain, that music and those cartoons. Yeah, it was yeah. really funny that you just brought that up. That that was my only exposure to it in little rural Alabama. Yeah. So, um, But once I got into the school, I learned that it was so much more and, and absolutely fell in love with it. And also, growing up, I was, like I mentioned about the blues, um, not only did my teacher uh, buy me or get a blues book for me, but I was also in our town. We had several blues musicians oh, yeah. that um, I had, was fortunate enough to meet and kind of learn from as well. So what was the question again? I'm sorry. I just wanted to know <laughs> about um, how you, uh, what you like to play. And, and Oh, yeah. And, so, and so jazz and blues. Yeah. And my, with the piano, I came out with an album, actually two albums this past year. It's called Southern Jazz Piano 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. So it's all original music that is jazz. And I call it Southern Jazz because it's heavily based also with blues and gospel and mm-hmm. funk. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of what yeah. is my most favorite. I, I also play with the local group, uh, Kim Rotegas and the Black Cat Bones and, and Kim Rotegas and the Zool All-Stars, where we do a fusion of Latin music with oh, very nice. blues, soul, and funk. Very nice. So can you tell us a little about where can we see you play? So, yeah, so... um. We'll be playing at Dancing in the Streets in Neptune Beach. We just played at Spring in the Blues. Oh. And um, also I have a few shows coming up with the Jacksonville Jazz Fest, the Great. Jazz After Dark. And oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's always a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I used, to, I used to live downtown in the Carling, one of those high rises, in the middle of Jazz Fest when it was downtown. And I got to just listen to everything for free. It was <laughs> And not even leaving my... Living room uh, most of the time was really fantastic. We in Jacksonville, we are so fortunate. Yeah. And the lineup this year, I'm, I've never been involved with the Jazz Fest, but it just keeps getting better and better. And, yeah. and the lineup that they have this year is phenomenal. Yeah. I can't wait. So you're really excited about that. Okay, yes. so we should all go check it out. Everybody we should, should check go to that. Very nice. So and and so, where can we get these albums that you are talking about? They're on Spotify, okay. iTunes, Amazon. Very nice. So you can just flip on over uh, yeah. from this podcast and go. Or my website. <laughs> What's your website? SeanFaffman.com. 
which is spelled crazy. Um, <laughs> Spell it out for us. We're going to. Okay. S H A W N. And then Fafman is with a P, P F A F F M A N. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show, Sean. I really you appreciate so it. And thank for for you me. for everything that you're doing uh, to support arts education for kids. I know that you as well. um, giving back is, um, is something we both feel very passionate about. And it takes a lot of time and energy. And sometimes it's defeating. And sometimes it, it feels like the greatest thing on earth. So thank you for doing that roller coaster with all of us and leading the way. Well, thank you for having me. Well, I think we were really blessed today to be able to have Sean in the studio talking to us. What a wonderful career he's had and what a great advocate for the art supporting other learning areas. I actually didn't know that about his uh, his background, but I think we can all uh, be better advocates about not just the arts, but how the arts and uh, other areas of our lives are complementary. I think we can also learn a little bit from Sean that we can all be part of this movement to support arts education. Sean is a parent, he's a musician, he's an educator, um, but he's also just an inspiration to anyone who wants to jump in and get involved. Um, You can actually join him in the Arts Advisory Council if you're interested. We'll give you some information about that. And you can also keep listening because... um, We will keep talking about the importance of arts education and have more representatives like Sean who are very passionate about keeping the arts alive in public schools. 